If someone told you they got a black belt, you'd probably think they were talking about karate. Single punch with a key already. But for people who follow the weird world of management theory, there's actually another colored belt system, a way nerdier one. It's called Six Sigma. Now, you might recognize Six Sigma if you're a fan of 30 Rock. On the show, it's constantly the butt of jokes. Jack Donaghy, the media executive played by Alec Baldwin, is a passionate fan of Six Sigma principles. He describes them, not entirely accurately, as... Teamwork, insight, brutality, male enhancement, handshakefulness, and play hard. But Six Sigma isn't just a punchline. It's a real set of techniques to help a company achieve manufacturing perfection. And that Jack Donaghy character, he learned Six Sigma at General Electric, which really did adopt it in the 1990s. GE's CEO, Jack Welch, was obsessed with Six Sigma. He based promotions, bonuses, and stock options on the belt system. Six Sigma basically became GE's religion. And because GE was the most valuable company in the world, Six Sigma got crazy popular. But when GE started a long, slow decline, so did Six Sigma. These days, you won't see nearly as many black belts on LinkedIn profiles. And that fading popularity says something about business today. In a world that celebrates innovation, is there room for a system that's laser-focused on perfection? This is The Court's Obsession, a podcast that explores the fascinating backstories behind everyday ideas and what they tell us about the global economy. I'm your host, Kira Bindram. Today, Six Sigma, and what happens when a management theory loses its edge. I'm joined now by Oliver Staley, who is the business and culture editor at Quartz, and he is based here in New York. So Six Sigma is like a pretty wonky topic to get into. And I would say like at Quartz, we do not have a highly structured management system as it were. So I know that you didn't get into this because you needed it for your work at Quartz as a manager. How did you get into this topic of Six Sigma? As much as I am obsessed with defect reduction in my editing, I have not applied a Six Sigma process to my stories. But I first encountered Six Sigma, I think, like everyone else did just in the popular press in like the in the 90s. General Electric was the most sort of celebrated company. And, you know, Jack Welch had sort of was sort of the Jeff Bezos of the time. I don't recall any of the specific article, but I am fairly sure Six Sigma crossed my radar when Jack Welch was on the cover of Business Week, like uh, every six months. I specifically recall a moment when I thought Six Sigma had entered into a different phase when my girlfriend at the time, who was in business school, asked me to prove her resume. And she had inserted Six Sigma into her resume at various points to attract uh, or signal her sort of fluency in in management uh, culture. So when I was thinking about story ideas, I remember how prevalent Six Sigma was in the culture and how it basically had vanished. And I wondered why. What is it? Like, what are we talking about? So Six Sigma literally refers to deviations on a bell curve. If you, if you could picture a bell curve, it's all the way to the side. You know, it's like where it's basically a straight line. And in terms of manufacturing, it refers to a near-perfect process that's 99.999% accurate. Three defects per million, something like that. Prior to the introduction of Six Sigma as a concept, 
companies were sort of operating at a three or four sigma uh, level of a defect reduction, which would make them something like 95% defect free. And a sigma is one deviation? Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. Um, but don't ask me more because that's <laughs> okay. all I know. That term is sort of indicative of the whole thing about Six Sigma, which is that it is taking some fairly sophisticated statistical concepts and allowing laymen to use them as if they know what they're talking about. Evidence uh, would suggest that not everyone who uses that term appreciates the statistical significance uh, and understanding of it. So if you asked 100 Six Sigma practitioners to really break down what Six Sigma means, they might not all nail it. I wouldn't say 100 would, no. Let's talk a little bit about where the Six Sigma system actually came from. Like, what is the origin story of this management theory? So the important thing to remember here is that this came out of a manufacturing process. So the origin begins uh, in Japan after World War II. Because of the war, Japan's industrial base had pretty much been wiped out. And so they were sort of rebuilding and they were very eager for uh, ways to catch up in a hurry, right? And so an American statistician named uh, W. Edwards Deming ended up in Japan, and he uh, was a, an evangelist of statistical analysis to eliminate defects in, in production. And his systems were adopted and widely embraced, and the companies that adopted them did really well. So Japan quickly uh, became a industrial powerhouse, and uh, by the 60s and certainly the 70s, uh, Japanese products were becoming rapidly the gold standard. You know, that was sort of the rise of, of Honda and Toyota, and uh, American car manufacturers like General Motors and Ford were building these massive, clunky, inefficient cars. And so uh, there was a lot of attention was being paid on how did Japan do this. During this period, you know, uh, American companies were very eager to adopt Japanese systems. And one of the catalysts was a NBC documentary titled something like, If Japan Can Do It, So Can We. In a recent American study of one type of integrated circuit, the best American product failed six times more often than the best Japanese product. Now, with our productivity in decline, more American companies are sending officials to Japan to see for themselves. So an American statistician goes to Japan, develops these principles. They really catch on in Japan because Japan is post-war highly focused on reviving manufacturing, and now we have Six Sigma. Who names it Six Sigma? Uh, it was a guy at Motorola. I believe his name is Bill Smith. So if I am a practitioner of Six Sigma, if I am like a true believer, what does that mean? Like how does that manifest day to day? Well, this gets into sort of both the appeal and the flaws of Six Sigma as a broader management concept. If you are involved in manufacturing and you're trying to build a better airplane engine, you would be using Six Sigma to make sure that every time a jet engine comes off the assembly line, it doesn't have flaws. It gets a lot fuzzier when you're involved in management or human resources or sales when you are trying to apply this process to your day-to-day -day function as a salesperson. And frankly, this is how Six Sigma sort of collapsed. Is It was extended into processes that had no use for it. Where do the belts come in? You know I want to know about these belts. The belts were basically borrowed from, as you mentioned, karate or kung fu or, or whatever. Uh, initially, there were just two. But then they've added every color of belt you can imagine has been added. Um, and, you know, these courses will sell you whatever. Chartreuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, um, you talked about Motorola being one of the first companies that sort of coined the phrase. How did we go from Motorola to the widespread popularity that we're saying happened in the U.S.? 
So uh, a lot of it has to do with General Electric. Jack Welch was always looking for an edge. And Welch had already been hearing from his managers that quality control was becoming an issue at General Electric. I think the company was growing really fast at that point, and they were doing a lot of different things. And he was told that the company could save just billions of dollars by weeding out uh, defects and improving quality control. So at that point, he was like all in. And Six Sigma became like the corporate religion at General Electric. What does that corporate religion aspect look like in day-to-day? Like how did they implement it? They basically required every manager to undergo Six Sigma training. So thousands of managers. They spent, I think, something like a billion dollars over the first couple of years in training all these managers. And then they had tied it to managers' uh, bonuses. Like, so stock options were reserved for managers who I think had gotten a black belt in Six Sigma. There's a very telling anecdote in uh, Welch's autobiography. They were going to promote some guy to, like, be head of nuclear, uh, like their nuclear unit. And... Uh, He was good, but they were not convinced of his uh, devotion to Six Sigma principles. So he had to fly from California to to Hartford, Connecticut, and essentially convince the muckety-mucks at at General Electric that he was sufficiently committed. You know, like, it's easy to draw parallels between Six Sigma and, and religion, but there is a certain, like, you know, you need to be committed to this practice and its rituals and its faith in order to uh, advance at General Electric. Okay, tell me a little bit about Jack Welch. He strikes me as a bit of a character. He was sort of this like pugnacious Boston Irish guy who embraced a kind of ruthlessness, but with a very sort of cheerful quality. And, you know, he loved the media and the media loved him. Did he understand the sort of statistical background to Six Sigma? No, he admits he did not in his uh, in his autobiography, but he knew enough to hire the people who did. Are there other companies that we know were at one point really invested in Six Sigma? You know, it, it became every company. Like it was and not just companies, but nonprofits and government. It became like pixie dust that everyone wanted to sprinkle on their business and consultants began just selling it. Like, it's easy to make fun of, but you want to be on a plane that's gone through a Six Sigma process. Like, you don't want planes with a lot of defects. You don't want your products to fall apart. And what's happened is, like, we've just sort of assumed these things work as well as they do. But that's because there's been processes like Six Sigma to make sure that they do. After the break, Six Sigma takes on the world. So before the break, we were talking about how GE got really invested in Six Sigma, and you started to talk about kind of the, like, cottage industry that blew up around it. Talk a little bit more about what that actually looked like. So uh, an easy way to think about it is, like, in... 1999, there were zero books with Six Sigma in the title. I think in 2000, there were three. And in 2001, there were like 24. And, you know, there's Six Sigma for dummies, Six Sigma for, you know, healthcare professionals, Six Sigma for dog walkers. Like, there was this explosion of Six Sigma-related books and a parallel explosion in courses and um, trainings to get you and your company 
up to speed. And for someone looking for a job, it became like an imperative that you have Six Sigma in your resume. Who is the keeper of the Six Sigma lore? Like there is no central authority? There really isn't. And that is, I would think for the people who are invested in it, I think that's a big problem because it really is anyone can put out a shingle and claim to be a Six Sigma instructor. You could take courses at various universities, um, but you could you know, if you type it into Google Six Sigma training, you could get a you know some online course for like sixty bucks, and it may or may not be any good. And there's no authority or accreditor to tell you it is or it isn't. How prevalent is Six Sigma right now? If you are an engineer, uh, you are either using Six Sigma or something like Six Sigma. The statistical analysis of your manufacturing and, and using data to sort of understand what is and isn't working and how you're making something, I think that's fairly standard now. In the course of your reporting, have you talked to Six Sigma, like, acolytes or people, like, whose perception of it has changed over time in some way? Or I think the the people who were invested in it recognized that it got out of control and that it began to be applied to um, job functions where there wasn't any real application for it. And I think if they're honest with themselves, they would recognize that, like— you don't really need to Six Sigma a salesperson's role. You know, there are certain functions that it makes a lot of sense for and a lot of functions it doesn't make any sense for. What is the process of GE sort of losing faith in in Six Sigma? Well, Jack Welch was replaced by Jeff Immelt. But, you know, I don't think Immelt was as much of a believer as Welch was. But, like, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. One of the not very um, hidden secrets about General Electric is – uh, they were really a financial services company uh, that also made stuff. Basically, they were they were lending money, and that all collapsed during the financial crisis. And Six Sigma did not help them recover from that. So Six Sigma really started to uh, wither at General Electric, and and Immel started searching for other systems and theories that could help rescue the company. So General Electric is now going to church on uh, Easter and Christmas only. Yeah, so. if if. You know, (laughs) they're uh, mouthing the hymns. (laughs) So on the one hand, like over the past 20 or 30 years, it's easy to imagine that a management theory that worked in the 90s might be relevant today. Like the fundamentals of running a business are not that dramatically different. But on the other hand, like it does feel outdated almost hearing about it today or just not as relevant. Yeah. What do you kind of make of these like management theory ebb and flows? Well, I, I think management theory fits the business culture of the time. And so what, what happened essentially over the last 20 years is that industrial manufacturing became less and less sexy and software and engineering and the internet sort of became the business world. Um, and and. All the energy and excitement in business is around online and software. And the emphasis became much less on quality control and much more on innovation and disruption and speed. The, you know, the, the famous Mark Zuckerberg quote, move fast and break things, is kind of the, in many ways, the opposite mm. of Six Sigma, which is move slowly and make sure nothing breaks. So in some ways, like the process of creating the iPhone, making the iPhone in production sense is logically Six sigma The process of developing iOS is maybe uh, not logically Six Sigma, might even be hurt by... Yeah, I think the folks now uh, think that that kind of methodical statistical analysis gets in the way. But a manufacturing engineer would probably recoil at that idea. Like, they want to make sure everything works perfectly before they start running the assembly line. 
In our reporting at Quartz, we are talking a lot about like stakeholder capitalism and sort of the folding into company values of um, things that aren't just about the bottom line or the actual success of the company from a financial perspective. Do you think that we will see a management theory that speaks to that, that's almost like more empathetic or inclusive or internally rewards people for doing things that sort of lead to that kind of success? Possibly. We may already be in the midst of that forming. Management theories are only as good as the people who are uh, employing them, you know, and, and it starts with the CEO. And if the CEO is not buying in, then that theory is going to wither and fade. Yeah, I, I do think you could construct a management theory based on a more inclusive and uh, holistic view of the world and your stakeholders. And, you know, that's not just about rewarding shareholders, uh, but whether that's durable you know, the proof is in the pudding. It seems like it really comes down to how dogmatic you are about it and for how long, because ultimately, you know, the world around you changes. And if your company is so stuck on one management theory that it can't move forward with the world, uh, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, it's interesting because I think all companies, especially old ones, like to refer to their history and their tradition and their values. And yet I think companies are sort of are as interested in their values and their tradition to the extent that they are useful for making money today. And when those are no longer uh, useful, they move on to something new. Um, okay, I have one more question for you. What is your favorite fun fact about Six Sigma? I This is a surprise question, so <laughs> I, I didn't come prepared with a fun fact about Six Sigma. You're not just full of fun facts about <laughs> Six Sigma? What I think was interesting is how closely it was tied to General Electric and that as General Electric began to slide first slow and then very quickly, Six Sigma sort of fell out of favor. You know, if General Electric maintained its success uh, for another decade or two, Six Sigma may have maintained its relevancy in the in the business culture. Super interesting. See, that's a fun, fun fact. Thank you for joining me, Oliver. Thank you for having me. That is our obsession for the week. This episode was produced by Katie Jane Fernelius. Our sound engineer is George Drake, and the theme music is by Taka Yazuzawa and Alex Sukira. Special thanks to editors Oliver Staley and Alex Osula in New York. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Tell your friends about us. Ask them who has the most colorful belt collection, and then listen to the podcast together. Then head to qz.com slash obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email. 